Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. Come in. Welcome to Opening Doors, Navigating the Future of the Theater Industry. This week, I'm continuing my conversation with playwright Riley Elton McCarthy. We pick up in the middle of talking about Riley's year as a playwright. I haven't had time. I've been so busy as a playwright that I, like, I got off. I want you to understand, like, when I came home from Scotland, I had four productions to work on, like, back to back to back to back. Actually, I started work on Ivory's What Would Become Fringe. We I signed the Fringe Agreement in November 2022. So I knew I was going to Fringe, like, a whole nine months before we left. I went to... um I we did our initial marketing shoot in November. We started doing table work on the show January 2023. We started rehearsals in February 2023. Opened at the Brick in March. Then we I had the lesbian play off Broadway at the Triad Theater, which started in April, um, and ended in June. Uh, meanwhile, in June we restarted rehearsals for um, Ivories again, uh, and we had to we had a Gwyn change. My best, one of my best friends, Ralphie Manjikian, very talented actor, had been Gwyn for three years and he had booked some other stuff. So he had to depart. And then we got Hans and we love Hans. We're very happy with Hans. We love Rafi too. He's very missed, but Rafi's going to be in a show of mine in February. Uh, but um, he, we had to do recasting. I, I really have not stopped working. I left, I did Ivories in July, left for Fringe July, came back August went straight to rehearsals for I'm Going to Eat You Alive, uh, while Levy was also rehearsing at the same time. So it has truly been, like, since November 2022, I haven't had a day off. So I, and Monday, we restart rehearsals for I'm Going to Eat You Alive. And (laughs) I'm also producing The Frenchman at the tank. So that has been in rehearsals. No days off for Riley. Uh, I look forward to taking a vacation maybe in December. I'm looking at flights maybe to to like take a day off. But (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the hardest part about this industry is how like you're on a train and you can't get off. It is. Um, And you see that now that also we're all conditioned that, oh my God, if I sit and don't do work, like anyone, like I recently got COVID for the first time. Oh, I'm sorry. In, in in early September. And I was sitting here for a week and I was like, this is what rest feels like? <laughs> like I, I, I had the first two days, which sucked. But then after that, I was like, I'm sleeping and I'm getting to watch TV. And I'm like, this is crazy. I can't believe like people get to do this on a regular basis. Mm. And now we're seeing that with Bonnie Milligan, who's out of Kimberly Kimbo with a hip injury and has been now for like three weeks. And she keeps posting on her Instagram stories like, I, I, I'm so bored. Like, how do people do this? Like, normally, how do people like just sit? And it's, I do think that that's part of how we all work and how we all, you know, yeah, it's part of the industry and it's built into you to just keep being like a warrior and keep fighting and fighting, and fighting. But I'm an openly disabled artist. I have multiple autoimmune commission conditions. I've got my own stuff going on. Uh, you know, I've I've battled some very serious health scares already in my 20s that have been 
really harrowing for me. I had stomach tumors removed in college. It's a very stressful time. Uh, I'm a warrior for real. But I uh, I refuse to give up in that regard either. And I'm very disability forward in the arts. And I think we should be advocating for our bodies and taking the space that we need and taking care of each other and respecting each other in that regard. But I can tell you, like, I truly, this past month has been one of the hardest for me in terms of my schedule between grad school, between bugs, between levy, between teching those two, between I stepped into a lighting design time hole at the tank too. Uh, I've got a show going up in Miami in two weeks. Uh, I will be flying to Miami to see it. Uh, It's my adaption of Lord of the Flies, and I'm very excited. Um, And it has been kind of like an onslaught of like trying to reach me for anything has been so difficult and it's never ending since fringe since I came back from fringe it has been never ending I'm doing I haven't had a day off and it's made me feel a little cuckoo uh (laughs) I today is technically my day off and I have another day off technically I think Friday I have the day off and I'm gonna go get coffee with a friend um but you know we I I don't think I would I think sometimes we forget that rest um and letting our brains rest allows us to generate new ideas once we've refilled ourselves and that what we think is us doing nothing is actually just recharging our bodies and putting ourselves into new perspectives and it will not kill that creativity you are feeding your brain so that you can get back into it with a clear mind and that is necessary for art necessary to take breaks and i i know we are conditioned to do so i'm telling your your audience right now give yourself permission to take a break um i did that last year for like three months i did not write a single new page for three months last year and that brought me into a headspace where i was able to write take me down to the levee the first thing i wrote after that break was take me down to the levee and we had an industry reading at Playdate at Pete's. Um, and that was amazing. And it was so good that we took it to the tank a year later. Uh, and I've continued to develop it for 15 more drafts within the span of a year. I'm a big rewriter. Ivory's is on draft 72 right now. I rewrite like crazy. Uh, love, love to edit. I think that that's important. And I think we see that now a lot of commercial theater that does an out-of-town tryout and does a, a straight transfer. Um, and then we see a show like Suffs, which I saw at the public. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you did as well. I wish uh, I did. And I think everyone was very much in agreement. They just, they needed work. It needed work. It was great bones, needed work. Shayna Taub, to her credit, did the work. They've had like six workshops and readings and new drafts. And Have you seen them? Uh, oh. No, I haven't been able to see any of the workshops. I've I've heard from friends who are co-producers and stuff of the show who've said that the change has been immense, and now they're transferring, and that's the right way to do a transfer is to to right. take a year and and do it, and even if it stops the momentum a little bit of the hype of a show, I do think that it's important. We live in draft. I yeah. I feel strongly as a playwright that it is my duty to make my show good. Um, And I know that sounds really silly. You know, there's a lot more to it than just like the playwright. Um, There's the having the right director and having the right cast and all of the elements have to come together to make a show good. But 
if I can do anything right now while I'm alive to make my text better, you bet I'm going to be editing and revising. And Ivory's has had 60 workshops. 60. I have, like, over the course of 2021 onward, there have been 60 workshops. I've seen 23 different Beckhams. Uh, Rafi, who's been Gwyn for so long, has done 50 of those. I've really only had of a, a finite number of Gwyns, actually. I've hit I've hit gold with my Gwyns every time. Hans was amazing. Rafi was amazing. Um, very happy with my Gwyns. Um, there's been about 20 different Sloans who were all, I wrote the role for a cis woman. And then midway through production, I was like, man, I really want to be in Ivories, but I don't want to play Beckham or Gwyn. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I have to go meta and play Sloan. And I rewrote the entire role to be non-binary. And I changed all of Sloan's dialogue, all of it, um, many times over. That scene where Beckham and Gwyn are up, um, Beckham and Sloan are upstairs talking in act one. Mm-hmm. You will never see that, that scene the same, any production. I changed what they're talking about every single time because uh, I, I just can't settle on it. But I, I've worked on that show so much that I think it drives some of my collaborators insane. But I, I believe in that play so very deeply. But I also believe in its fluidity. And I did a very dramatic rewrite of the play where I scrapped like 80% of the text and <laughs> rewrote it from the ground up um, like literally three weeks ago uh, where Rafi played Beckham. I played Sloan and my friend Matthew... Uh, Matthew Snyderman played Gwyn and we all sat and workshopped it with friends to see how it would look for a a future run that is coming that I can't say much more about. Um, We workshopped it together to just hear like how these changes would affect the text and it was incredibly positive. But it's very dramatic from what you saw at 59E. I think it'll be shocking for people who have followed Ivories as long as they have to see that version on the stage. And be like, whoa, you really like made it dynamic. And I was like, yeah. So we'll see. Well, to talk about a director standpoint um, and, and working with a show for a long time and keeping the same director. I was just reading an interview the other day about Here Lies Love um, and how Alex Timbers got to a point in his career where he could name his project. And that's all he wanted to do is go back and revisit that show from its first run at the public 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they've done in a Broadway theater is crazy. I just I saw so much controversy around the treatment of like the Filipino story though. Yeah. That made me hesitate if only because I would hate to disrespect the, the, the Filipino voices about that show. That has been my one big hesitation with seeing Here Lies Love. My friends all tell me it's excellent. Um, I just don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm sure all of the artists involved are wonderful, though. I just, yeah. yeah and that's, I do think, is a lot of the problem. Like, the new Tiananmen musical that's premiering in Phoenix that's about Tiananmen Square, um, written by three white guys. Ooh. Yeah. I just think... <laughs> that's the stuff we don't need. <laughs> I just think cisgender white men should take a little break from writing theater. Can I can I say that? I don't it's not personal men. I just think cisgender white men should stop writing a little bit. 
Um, some of the things that they have written in recent years has been a little troubling to me, um, just in terms of like lack of sensitivity and in, in terms of cultural appropriation. And I just, I don't like to see that. I don't want to see that and I won't give my money to that, but it's, yeah, it, it's not my voice that matters. It's what makes money, you know, nothing I can do. Well, and that I think is, is part of the issue is all these budgets are inflated. I mean, Cabaret announced their cast yesterday for, for the revival. I will be going to see Cabaret. I can't, I can't lie. I will be going to see Cabaret. They are building a second mezzanine in that theater. They they turned that. In <laughs> yeah, in the August Wilson, where the, the proscenium is currently, it is being turned into a second mezzanine. Um, that that renovation is costing nine million dollars. That production is costing twenty six million dollars. It will not make back twenty six million dollars. They're going to lose so much money. And let me tell you, I can tell prices are not going to be at a place where they're going to fill that theater. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but also I'll be honest with you. Um, I were you here when Hello Dolly was on Broadway? They recouped. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm saying is that was a very expensive production that I thought would never make back its money in just paying for Bette Midler, but yeah. it absolutely made its money back. And I think very smartly closed on a strong note so that uh, it wouldn't pedal into pedal off its last legs. I think what they did was shockingly smart from a financial perspective. I agree and with look, you. revivals are hard. The revivals are expensive. Don't get me started on how upset the Carousel revival makes me that it was not good. Yeah, but look at Little Shop. Little Shop, which which is one of my favorite shows. I love this oh. production so much. They're they're star casting it, and it just makes us want to go back again and again. And it's a great show. It's a great production. It's an intimate theater. They just hit a thousand performances. It's fantastic. Like to have a revival of a musical work so well like that is is exciting yeah i saw the first performance of it off broadway it was my it, it is my favorite show it's uh i write horror because i saw little shop as a kid uh and also got into theater because of little shop it's the first show i ever saw um live and it was so impactful on me and i think those kinds of man i think seeing it at like seven years old really shaped me into the this, the the comedy that i have as a playwright but also like how much i love horror and blood and guts and gore on the stage i would love to see a production of ivories that is really bloody <laughs> especially towards the end there in the basement yeah. i would love to see a very bloody basement scene we got pretty close, but I, I would like to see it even worse. Um, well, and then to talk about, about the future of, of this industry, we're in a place where nonprofits are closing left and right uh, across the country, where regional theaters are closing left and right across the country. And then we have Broadway with shows with these inflated budgets that are losing millions and millions of dollars. We have a show like Some Like It Hot, which cost $950,000 a week to run. I can say that because it was leaked in the New York Post. Um, and I think made a profit six weeks out of its like 50 something week run. Like that's crazy and that's shocking. And also the fact that that show costs more to run than Back to the Future that has a flying car is hilarious. More limited run should happen. It should yeah. be 
to spend that much like these are unfathomable numbers for me as a poor person but to spend unfathomable amounts of money being lost every single week imagine what that money could be turned around into that you you saved by making things limited runs imagine how many more jobs you will create by producing new work you know that to me is crazy um you don't you don't lose jobs and you don't lose money by limiting what the the runtime of shows you create other opportunities and also new experiences for both actors and audiences by doing so so it it does puzzle me a little bit for a show to run forever and ever and ever and ever i think that that works in some spaces like new world stages uh where i i certainly am not going to sit here on my high horse and be like you know uh, jersey boys is jersey boys still running no, they closed uh, last year. But like Play That Goes Wrong now has been there for a while. I love that show. And I've seen it now there like 10 times or something. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think very strongly like there are places for those to go. But we platform things when we allow them to go to Broadway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a different stature for a Broadway show versus an off-Broadway show. And we platform that show when we allow it to long run for a long time on Broadway and financially I think we should be picky and that's not to say there's anything wrong with those shows I just think we can afford to be picky I mean if you look at like parade what what happened with that run with it being a limited run and I I believe they recouped and if they didn't I think they they got pretty close Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's a beautiful story and it, it should never be an open run yeah would never succeed. Yeah. Like, it worked so well. Where a show like Gutenberg, which the fact that it's on Broadway is crazy, but it's a limited run. I haven't seen it. It is hilarious. And then I'll probably enjoy it. The two of them are having the time of their life. That show, I would be okay with it running forever if they just put, like, celebrity musical friends in it opposite each other and did like six week runs of those like that would be so hilarious and and so fun is the score any good is the score any good i know it's supposed to be dumb the score is i mean it's supposed to be a bad musical yeah Um, so like it's fine it's passable it's funny um so i enjoyed that all out of dicks the musical the a24 I, I need to see that this week. I love it. I love it so much. I've seen it three times. I love it. I When it's streaming, it's going to be the most annoying thing that I play to to annoy my roommate. And that's the sort of, we need just fun shit sometimes. Like, look, uh, my wall, Diana the Musical, at the time of my life. So much fun. I saw it five times. Like, that's what what we need sometimes every year there should be one musical that everyone knows isn't that good but is just fun this year it was once upon a one more time which is really i have no idea how that show didn't find its audience but that's a stupid producing question like is it good no but it's princesses and britney spears music how did people not see it like it should have gone to new world stages or something yeah, and like I think six eventually moving to New World stages that show will run forever there. Selling really well right now. Yeah, I just want it to take up 
not a Broadway theater. Yeah, when I, when I saw it on Broadway right before COVID, like literally days before the COVID shutdown, I saw it on Broadway. Yeah. And it was the last musical I saw before COVID. And um, I remember, you know, I'm not a woman, I'm non-binary, but I sat there feeling really empowered. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, girl power. <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's go. Um, I had a great time at six. I thought it was so much fun. That's an Edin. Th- there's another um, point we could Edinburgh. make about yeah. Edinburgh Fringe shows coming to Broadway. Ivory's next. No, uh, very happy for Rob Madge. Uh, I haven't seen The Shark Is Broken. I don't think it's my thing, but very happy for. Very happy for Joseph Shaw, and uh, I I think that that's awesome. Um, but six too is like. I, I think going back to the point of like, how was Edinburgh Fringe? I think everyone is now going to Fringe with the intention of being the next six. And that will yeah. never happen. That will never happen. Stop it. Uh, you will never be the next six. And, or they want to be the next Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Y'all, please stop going into Fringe with this assumption. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was already financially well off going to Edinburgh Fringe. The cost to go to Edinburgh Fringe is insane. From numbers alone, we spent over $10,000 to go to Fringe. Between flights, between our Airbnb, between the theater fees for a, a conference room. Yeah. I mean, it it was simply insane. And that is, again, not to say that I, I wouldn't do Fringe again, but it needs to be a more affordable Fringe. And I understand also some of the costs are to keep it from overinflating with with people because it's a tiny city. Edinburgh is not a giant city. It is not particularly big, to be quite frank with you. It is much smaller than New York City. And c- traveling everywhere was very easy, actually. Like we were in Leith, which was like the top port of Edinburgh, and we had to take a bus or the tram, which was right by our Airbnb to go to our theater every day. And that was fine. It was only like a 20 minute tram ride. But um, there were a lot of people at Fringe. We were there for the entire first week and then some. We did 10 performances in 10 days and we had no day off. We did like 10 through. Which wasn't too bad, but midway through the run, I got really sick. <laughs> and uh, I performed two shows where I was, like, trying not to throw up. Um, didn't, didn't at all. And it was not COVID. It was not a cold. I just was not feeling well. Struggled very hard on those shows. But, um, yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of really great theater while I was there. So, like everyone who came for the most part was really talented and people came and loved ivories our press reviews were incredibly positive and i'm very grateful for those but it, it was hard i think like if i came to fridge I, fringe again i would not go the first week of fringe i'd go the second week of fringe and i would go with a shorter piece either 60 minutes or 45 I can't write a really, really, really short play, but I I would keep it in there because people are trying to see as much as they want in a day. So like doing a longer piece, uh, people are taking a gamble to go see you, you know? But yeah, I would, we also had no one walk out. I, we had nobody walk out of the show. Like like that was, were you there the night we, at 59, we had one person walk out? I was there, I think, the closing at 59. Uh, the day before, we had an old woman who clearly did not know what she was in for walk out. 
but it was she walked out while I was trying to exit and it was dark and she was wearing all black and she stood in front of the doors that I was exiting out of and I almost body slammed her it was like when Gwen and I are arguing and then I storm off the stage she was in front of it and I went to go push the door and she was there and I went oh I almost hit this woman which like also so silly that she was allowed to just stand there like why didn't I would have just let her out. Like, why Why did they have her stand in front of the doors? Uh, it was the biggest jump scare of my career. Like, n- nothing was scarier on that stage than that woman blocking my exit door. Craziness for a horror play. I was like, who the fuck are you, Grandma? Um, God. Scary. Poor woman, but also, please do not endanger the actors. That was scary for me. <laughs> I was scared. Um, yeah. We had no one walk out. Of any of the shows and we had a press performance that was the scariest performance of my life because there were only seven people there and they were all reporters and they all sat in the front row and nobody laughed the entire play except once and the one part where they laughed very loudly is when Beckham interrupts the seance with wait 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 I'll start first question that one that moment the audience bellowed into laughter but the rest of the play we were dead silent and after I was shaking like a leaf because I was like, God, they hated it. God, they hated it. God. And I turned to Hans and Ryan as we were breaking down the set and I went, I'm going to buy everyone shots. And I did. But yeah. So to go now to, to our last question, uh, again, as we've said, this industry is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It is a train that you can't get off of. What do you think it'll look like both commercially and nonprofitly? That's not a word. Nonprofitly. <laughs> It's in the nonprofit department. Yeah. Uh, in in 10 years, in 20 years, what, what are the changes that you think need to be made? What are the changes that you hope end up happening? I mean, it's uh, 10 years is a long time. 20 years is a long time. But yeah, um, that is a very hard question, admittedly. Um, I hope commercially we start to see... Um, Senate terms of four years for sure. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Four-year term limit. No, uh, you can't be reelected unless it's a revival in 10 years. Um, No, I would like to see more limited runs of shows that allow for space for new ideas to come into the theater. I would like to see our first trans playwright win a Tony. Um, part of part of why I just don't go to see commercial theater much. When um, MJ Kaufman's Transparent musical transfers, I will go see that. I've really hesitated to see shows that don't have trans people anymore. Um, not because I'm like a stickler or stubborn, but because there just haven't been any shows that speak to me. I just I just haven't gone. Um, and I'd like to see of course, more stories by artists of color, but especially stories by artists of color that are not told as often, such as like Asian stories um, that don't often make it to the Broadway stage. Like Here Lies Love, again, it's so complex, the the feelings behind it that I've hesitated on that very specific reason of appropriation that I don't want to like overstep in that regard. But in that same breath, you know, I... I would love to see more Asian American stories and Asian stories in general come to the Broadway stage. I will go out of my way to go see any shows by Black playwrights. Um, I think, and I know so many talented Black playwrights in my personal circle. I'm producing Leroy Rich, uh, Leroy Richardson's Frenchman right now at the Tank, and that has been going marvelously. 
but I I'll go see anything by like a marginalized artist but I I am incredibly disappointed that we've never had a trans playwright on Broadway and that has been incredibly disappointing for me um nonprofit wise um I would love to see new initiatives to bring in the subscriber base or ticketing initiatives that specifically are geared towards and understand my generation. I will go see shows anyways for that are stories that are not necessarily geared for me, if only because like I love to be exposed to a wide perspective of different ideas, but I haven't really seen anything that speaks to me or my generation. I don't know how you feel because we're rather close in age to my understanding. Um, I, I don't know. It It's really disappointing. I, I find there's a lot of the, you know, the meme of Steve Buscemi that's like, how do you do fellow kids? Yeah. Uh, that's how I feel like every Broadway theater in nonprofit is looking at us like, is like, how do you do fellow kids? Come see like this show about a 90 year old dying woman. And I'm like, I, no, thanks. Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I also think I, I hesitate to just blame one side or the other because I think there's a lot it's it's very nuanced I don't know if I could give you a solid answer other than ticketing initiatives need to be better um subscriber base needs to be better and um the 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 work and the artists behind it needs to be selected a little more thoughtfully I love what you said about a subscriber base um because I do think having a cheaper subscription option so you get the young people in there um and you get a show that they're excited about in there. And then you expose them to other new work. Mm-hmm. You know, what New York Theater Workshop did last season is they had Merrily. So they had all these people buying subscriptions just so they could get the tickets to Merrily. So mm-hmm. the other shows that they put in there were these new works that wouldn't necessarily be seen by a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. And that was really smart. I mean, I just subscribed for, to something for the first time. I subscribed to Encores for this year. Um, I heard a lot of people subscribe to Encores this year uh, to see all of the Encore shows because Into the Woods was so hard to get tickets to. Yeah, I got Into the Woods the first day and then Oliver, I got... Is it for Drowsy Chaperone? Uh, not Drowsy Chaperone, fuck. Uh, the the Sutton Foster Once Upon Mattress, is that what Yeah, that's doing? probably what I'm least excited about, to be honest, of the three. Um, I'm very excited for Titanic. Um yeah. I just got the press screener because they're doing the pro shot of the UK tour mm-hmm. um, that's going out in movie theaters. And I was sent the press screener and watched it yesterday. Aww. Oh my God. It's so good. I love, I love, I love good musicals. I'm dying to see a revival of the secret garden. I'm sad. The Amonsons is that, is that how it's pronounced? The Amonson? I think it's Amonson, Amonson. Amonson, Amonson I don't know. The one in LA. Potato, potato. The yeah. Amundsen's uh, production of Secret Garden. I say leave the book alone. I say leave the book alone. It's it's already very good. You just need a good cast and a very strong direction. And they can follow along how long the book is. They can follow it along. It is very much so like a piece of literature. And um, the, the the author the who, who wrote the original book, it's a wordy book. It's a thick text. Um, and it's not simple. It's not a it's it's a very complex children's story. And I like it because of that, because it, it has so much that it touches upon. And the music, the score of that musical is beautiful. It has one of the most beautiful scores of its time. I think The Secret Garden is a beautiful musical and I would love to see it revived. 
but I would love to see it revived the way it was. I Not necessarily in direction, of course. I would love to see it redirected, but leave the book alone. Stop trying to change it. They keep editing it, and I'm like, leave it alone. It's already a masterpiece. Stop it. Well, my, my next question was, what's a, a, both a, a musical and a play that you'd love to see revived? But I do think, talking about direction, as much as I disagree and dislike Andrew Lloyd Webber, what he's doing right now with his shows and giving it to these creative directors like Jamie Lloyd with Sunset um, and Sammy Canold with Evita it is that's what these shows should be doing. If we do get revivals of shows, it shouldn't be these cookie cutter trying to replicate the original production. It should be these new reimaginings. I mean, what, what Michael Arden did with Parade sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what, what, what play would you love to see revived? Agnes of God by John Pilmeyer. I would love to see Agnes of God revived. I would love to play Agnes. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, that is, I'm not wayfish enough to play Agnes, uh, but I, and I sound very mask. Um, unfortunately, I was given a very deep voice uh, <laughs> by God. Um, God, what an amazing supernatural psychological thriller that interview play is. Um, it's very 80s, but it's also so engaging and exciting and can be done as one act if they ever decided to do. It's two hours long. You could do it one act, 100 minutes. Absolutely. Um, but I would love to either direct that or I would love to see. I know a few years ago I tried to get the rights to it, but I believe Roundabout was holding on to them. So I couldn't. Uh <laughs> So I didn't get to do it, but um, th- that is, I mean, do you know anything about that play? Carrie Fisher I've did heard of it. Carrie Fisher did it on Broadway. Um, incredible play. I would love to see that done, not by Roundabout. I would like to see it done by a really innovative director or a very queer director who is a woman. Uh, I would love to see a company of that show that is not all white. Um. It's a three it's a three person play. It's like doubt but women. Well what I think is so interesting about a lot of the plays, especially this season that are being produced commercially, is celebrities. We're getting a lot of that in plays. I don't um, hate it. I'm actually not on stunt casting. People who are good actors who get stunt cast in things, it's because they're a good actor. Yeah. They have made their career on acting. What do you expect them to do? Just step aside so like there comes a point where every new actor becomes famous, maybe. Yeah. You know, and what happens when those people get famous from you seeing them in that performance? Are you going to stop casting them? You know, and I I have very complex feelings on it. Um, I think sometimes stunt casting is bad um, when it's someone who's not good at acting. But I'll kind of see an A-lister in a show that's really good yeah. at what they do. Like, I'm I very excited for Appropriate, which is Elle Fanning. And yeah. yeah, also Brandon Jacob-Jenkins. Brandon Jacob-Jenkins. I would love to cast... I- I would love to one day see, this is my dream cast for Ivories if everyone was older. Mm-hmm. I would love to see an unknown play Sloan because there aren't very many established non-binary actors above 30. I would love to see Bill Hader play Beckham or Gwen. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I would love to see Mike Feist play Beckham or Gwen. He's the best. Oh, I agree. Mike Feist is so talented. Yeah, so uh, where can people find you on the internet? My website, RileyEltonMcCarthy.com. 
then do you have any shows dates that are coming up that you'd like to um i got things in the spring i can't announce but you'll see very soon one i can share is that uh edgar allen shit post is opening in february at the tank um we are finalizing the dates as we speak but we'll be opening at the tank uh and that does star my friend rafi manjikian as raven and he is such a phenomenal talent it's 80 minutes long and it's very punchy and we go through pretty much his entire bibliography edgar allen poe we cover pretty much everything he's ever written in 80 minutes it's kind of crazy thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of opening doors join us next week for our next guest mating whittingham a stage manager